You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. so much. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. It's such a joy and privilege for me to come out and share with you today. And, um, you know, usually when um, I go to preach somewhere or something like that, I usually bring something that the Lord has done in my life. And I preached in my church and part of a series or whatever like that. But um, I I haven't done that this time. I I borrowed a, a title from a book that meant a lot to me, uh, from a pastor that meant a lot to me. It was a guy called Jerry Cook who lived, um, uh, he's, he's no longer on this planet, but he uh, he was one of my mentors in life and I, I, I took the trouble one time to fly all the way to the States just to spend an afternoon with him because he, he meant so much to me. But he wrote a book called A Few Things I've Learned Since I Knew It All. Uh, I was going to call this message, um, I wish you knew me when I was 28, when I knew it all. Uh, You know, it's like, um, nowadays I only know a few things. Uh, And it's those few things I want to share about this morning. uh, I'm kind of at the age uh, where... You know, it's only 18 months till I turn 70. In fact, I can't wait to get to 70. I just am so looking. Don't ever let anyone tell you that getting old is, is, a, is, an, is an issue. It's like, I can't wait to be 70. It seems so magical, that number. <laughs> and uh, I'm so looking forward to it that I'm already celebrating it. When people ask me my age, I say, nearly 70. It's uh, it's such a it's such an anticipation I have in my spirit, it, it, because you know this it's just such a joy to walk with the Lord. And uh, uh, Judy and I came to know the Lord at uh, well, I was twenty and she was eighteen, and and uh, we really got born again, in an amazing way. And uh, it was just a lovely time. And uh, anyway, I, we've gone through a lot of, of things in life, and 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 there's a lot of stuff we've just chucked out. You know, we'll just put on the side. And when we planted a church five years ago, we had the opportunity to start afresh in our dotage, if you like. In our old age, we got the chance to, to plant a church. And, and do you know what I said to Judy? I said, we get the chance to not do a whole lot of things we've done before. We get a chance to, to, uh, to zero in on those things that we count as values in our life you know and now in our little church we don't have a vision statement we don't have a, a mission statement you know we had all those in other churches but we do have a value statement and we have one of those uh, pull up banner things on our on our platform and it's the the four values that uh, i feel after pastoring for 45 years that i have zeroed in on has been the key things uh, for church, and, and they're not only key things for church, they're key things for for us as individuals, and I want to share on those things this morning, if you'll bear with me, just to to do that, but you know, Paul, I, I felt, I got up really early this morning, I couldn't couldn't sleep, and, and, and got up at about quarter to four, and, and just started to wait on the Lord, and I, I flicked my phone on, and there was a message from Paul about 
Rachel's passing. And do you know how the Lord just does some things uh, at a moment, and in a, in, a, in a millisecond, the Lord just pops something in my spirit uh, about this? Because uh, my old pastor that I had in Auckland, he, he was a, a great man of the spirit, and he used to say this. He said, whenever there is passing of significant people in our lives, it's the end of a season, the beginning of a new one. And uh, he used to say, I remember just being a brand new Christian, hearing him say this. I'm like, oh, wow. And then I've experienced in my own life. But in that millisecond this morning at quarter to four, the Lord just spoke that into my spirit. This is for Paul and Tanya. This is a moment where the season's going to change in your life. There's a new anointing. And it's an Elijah anointing. There's a new anointing that's coming to you. Now, Elijah was a man who was, was raised up by God in a day of apostasy, a day when the government and then, then the land was chucking God out. And the government changed the official religion of Israel from, from worshipping Jehovah God to Baal worship. And Elijah was raised up. He was a confrontational man. He was a man of the spirit. He was strong. He was courageous. He was insightful, but he had this anointing on him, which was unusual in that it was an anointing for giving away. And he gave it away to his, uh, his disciple, Elisha. And Paul, I just feel uh, to speak to you uh, uh, and Tanya in this way this morning that uh, there's an Elijah anointing. This is a new season in your lives. And it's not just for you, but it's for this church. God will have an Elijah church. He's going to bring to the earth Elijah Church in the day of apostasy when great darkness starts to cover our world. God is bringing an Elijah Church. It's going to be a church that is powerful in the spirit and I believe that this is a day when you can reach out to God and expect something. You'll, expect, you'll feel something, a mantle on your life that is different. Praise God. That's just That wasn't part of my word, but it's just uh, something that is by the by the way, these are the four main values in my life that I'm sharing this morning. I don't usually sniff and need to blow my nose, but it's just, um, I was doing that one time, you know, during a, a, a wedding I was taking, I was blowing my nose, I turned around, it was a really hot day, I was turning around like this and blew my nose, and I turned back and there was only one person. <laughs> the bride, had, uh, no, the bridegroom had completely disappeared. <laughs> and I looked down, there he was on the floor, he had fainted. So, so I'm very wary about blowing my nose, you know, and turning away in case you all disappear. <laughs> just, 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 I'll just do it straight in front of you. That's right. That's okay. That's good. First one, uh, the first thing that I want to talk about is is, is making disciples. Um, the the Great Commission is, um, you know, I I, I talk about. Uh, making disciples it seems such a basic thing, doesn't it? But you know, to me, it wasn't always the case. Um, the Great Commission, uh, Matthew uh, twenty-eight verse eighteen, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." I want you to zero in particularly on that word, make. Do you know? For years and years, I thought disciples just happened. I thought if you did really good church, disciples would just come out the, out the back door. 
They would just they would just happen. I thought if you put on a really great church service and you had home groups and you had all sorts of things, that disciples would appear. I discovered to my horror that it doesn't. You only find out when the church goes through a rough patch. And you find out that, uh, you know, wow, I thought they were really more mature than that. And they're not. And, you know, we're not, things are not always as they seem. And, you see, disciples have to be made. Uh, they just don't happen. And he told them to, to make the disciples of all nations. This is the thing. This is the instruction Jesus is giving at the end of his time with his disciples. And... Um, you know, this is so wrong. You'd think we'd learn from Jesus, wouldn't you? Because uh, there were times when he fed the 5,000. said they were just 5,000 men, never mind the women and children. So he was used to crowds. He, he had big crowds. He had opportunity to have a big crowd, a big church. But he didn't. He walked away from them, went back to his 12. You see, he zeroed in on the, on, on the fact that he had to make these men before he could have the other. Because he was going to give that whole thing to them. And then, you know, on the day of Pentecost, when he had gone and the Holy Spirit came, Peter gets up and then they've got their 5,000. You know, then they've got their, their crowd. But it's like he had to make disciples. And, uh, you know, this, this dawned on me. Uh, it began to dawn on me back in uh, about 2003. And remember, we had a thing we did called Joshua's Men. <laughs> we used to get the men together and Judy used to get the ladies together. And we, but God began to challenge me and said, don't just think disciples make themselves. Because they don't. And, and uh, if you're a person that has never been discipled, get yourself discipled. Get yourself in a place. Sometimes uh, pastors have this terrible struggle to try and get somebody. It's like a slippery pig. You can't even pick it up. It's just like it, it slips it. You know, you, it's like I'm trying to disciple these people, but I can't get them. You've got to give yourself to, to being disciple. Elisha is, is someone, you know, he, he, Elijah almost used to put him off. What have I got to do with you, he'd say. You know, and you say, you stay here because I'm going down to Jordan. As you, as you live and as God lives, I'm coming with you. It was like there was a determination. And the emphasis is on the one being disciple to make sure it happens. So um, uh, it's an amazing thing. But anyway, the Great Commission, uh, you know, Jesus said, I've, I've made you, now you make the rest. You make the rest. And, and he'd given this, this whole thing. He'd, he'd build his church uh, he, uh, the, on disciples, not on a crowd. And uh, do you know what? Every one of us can do this. Every one of us can make disciples. Every one of us can. You know, when Paul said, I was, Judy and I were born into revival, we were born into an amazing move of God back in the early 1970s. Uh, it was the Jesus movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but back in Auckland, there was just people getting saved. You could preach on the color of the curtains and people got saved. Yeah, it was just one of those amazing times. And our church exploded from a church of just a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand almost overnight. And uh, so Judy and I were about six weeks old as Christians, and we were, we were put uh, in charge of following up new Christians. You know, here we were, six weeks old, and we were out following up people that, that were just getting saved because we had six weeks on them. I remember the first couple we went to, it was uh, a, a couple called Otto and Lynn, though, and uh, they were posties. Now, in New Zealand, uh, the posties got a great big bag on their back and walked around the streets 
they didn't even cycle. They, they walked around the streets, you know. And, uh, and this, this girl, and uh, Lynn, she had this really bad knee. And uh, she it was swollen. It was huge. And we went around to their house. And uh, anyway, here I said, we're going to pray for her. God heals. I heard the pastor say so, you know. And and so Judy laid hands on this knee, and uh, and uh, we I, we I don't think I'd prayed for anyone in my life before, but here we were praying for this uh, for this girl. And and uh, anyway, we, we we said goodnight to them and went away. And then I saw her in church a few days later, and and I said, "How's your knee?" You know, I was expecting to say, "Oh, you know, I've had to have days off work." She said, "Completely healed from the moment you you left the room." And I thought, man, see, making disciples, there's a real key there, actually. If you want someone, if you need healing, get someone to pray for you who's just a brand new Christian. Someone who hasn't read any books on healing yet, you know, and, uh, and there's a real key there. But you know, I love the way that Jesus hung with his disciples, don't you? I reckon they had an amazing time. But it cost the disciples... You know, because Jesus walked along the beach and it was very easy for him to say, leave your nets and come with me. Their dad wasn't that impressed, them leaving their nets and going with him, I can tell you. And, and off he went and he, 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 he took them around and he, they, he hung out with them. They slept in funny places. He stayed in Peter's house up in Caesarea, you know, up there in the, uh, uh, by the lake. And, and it, was, it was an amazing time. He ate with them. He journeyed with them. He restored them. When, they, when he went out, they went out. And so it, it was, there was a lot going on there, but it cost. And discipleship is, has a cost to it. it. It costs you your time. And this generation is the most time-poor generation that's ever lived on the earth. And so, you know, you, you, you've got to put, make the first things, the main things, the main thing. And uh, I love this story at the end of the book of John, don't you, where, where Peter had failed the Lord, uh, he had denied him three times, and, uh, you know, went fishing. It was downhearted. He was cast down. Jesus, resurrected Jesus turns up on the beach, you know, and he says, guys, come on in. You got any fish? And all this kind of thing. But he, he honed in on Peter. This is, this is a man who's a disciple. He honed in on Peter and he said, he said um, I like this man here. He's, he's a Man United. I'm a Man United guy. Yeah, God bless you, mate. I live in a house of Liverpool supporters, so it's real hard on me. Especially right now. <laughs> Jesus came up to, to Peter and he, he restored him. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, I love you, Lord. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. And then, then there's a story of him walking down the beach with Peter. And Peter turns around and he looks, sees John following. He's, you know, but... but this is a man who was prepared to get this guy, take him away from the group, and just spend a bit of time with him. And, and this is what we need to do when we're discipling others. There needs to be time. And do you know, Paul, planting this little church out in Deborah. Anyone know where Deborah is? Yeah. It's a half day's journey from here. It's, man. And, uh, but you know, I, I just enjoyed getting in on these value things and spending time. Uh, I, we don't have a church office anymore or anything like that. It's my deck. It's our deck. And I sit with people on my deck. And, and it's, it's, Jesus got Peter and he walked along the beach and Peter turned around and said, what about John? He said, hang on, Peter, this is just you and me here. 
what's it to you about him? And, and he, he restored Peter. And uh, there's times when the whole discipling process, there's failures take place. But you know what? There's always someone there for us. And, and uh, I've had people there for me, you know, during those times. And, and uh, so it's, it's really important that we, we zero in on, on making disciples. You know, they just don't happen. You've got to pull yourself into them. You've got, to, you've got to make sure that they become someone who's grounded in Jesus and loves Jesus with all of their heart. And you've got to hang out with them. If you're going on a drive somewhere, make sure you take someone with you that you can speak into their life. We're all called to do this. And I've had people. And, but, you know, I've had, to, I've had to chase people down. There's a wonderful uh, couple called Wayne and Martha Myers. Anyone heard of them? Probably not. Wayne Myers is an amazing guy. During World War II, he was on a U.S. aircraft carrier in the Pacific when the kamikaze pilots were coming in on the deck. And he, his job was to be on the deck and to, to uh, tie down the, the, the planes when they came in. And he, he was getting bombed by kamikaze pilots. They were coming in, the Japanese, and bombing his ship. And he knelt down on, his, on the deck and cried out to God, Wayne Miles, and cried out to God and said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me. And God spoke into his heart and said, go to Mexico. When he got back to Texas, where he was from, he walked, literally walked into Mexico and became a missionary there. And One of the most amazing missionary men that I've ever known. Do you know what? He's 96 years of age. He's still in Mexico. <laughs> and his wife, Martha's 92 years of age. She's still in Mexico. And he preaches five to seven times a week. I love these people. And when, he, when I met Wayne Myers, he came to Auckland. And there was something about him that just absolutely got a hold of me. I went and sat in his hotel foyer until he appeared. And I hung around with him and I said, I want to drive you wherever you go. And I hung out with him. I took him here and I took him there and I just hung out. And then when I was a missionary, we were missionaries in Chile. He came down and preached for me and he lived in my house and he was an amazing guy. But you see, it, it took me to do something. It wasn't his job to look for this snotty-nosed kid in Auckland and, 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 and try and do something with him. Jerry Cook bought a plane ticket and went to the USA because he, he promised that if I came, I, I, I could spend the afternoon with him. I did. One of the highlights of my life, Jerry Cook wrote the book, famous book, Love, Acceptance and Forgiveness. An amazing guy. Walter Butler. None of you have heard of Walter Butler. He was, he was an old German preacher in the States. But you know what? He gave his life to hosting the presence of God. When Judy and I got saved, we sat under his ministry in Auckland, and we just loved it because this man carried the presence of God. And I looked at him and I said, I want what he's got. I want the relationship with Jesus that he's got. And I sat under his ministry. I got all of his messages and I uh, got his, his writings and so forth. And that leads me on to the next subject. One of the things that I've learned is we're here to experience God's presence. The presence of God, the manifest presence of God, is what we're called to live in, to host, to look after, to nurture in our lives. And it is so such a privilege for us 
to know his presence, to live in his presence, and to minister his presence. I've given my life to being a carrier of the presence of God, and I, I so love and enjoy the wonderful presence of God. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience his presence. We can, we can just nurture that. But it's, you know, it says in Psalm 16, verse, verse 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. Often we, we talk about that as being someone that's, that's gone in, into, the, into heaven. But you know what? In his presence is fullness of joy. We've gone through some big stuff in life, Judy and I. Been through some painful things. We've uh, lost our parents. We've, my brother died. Um, we've lost two children before they had a chance to be born. We suffered some big hardships in places of the, of the world right off the tourist route. We've been stowed cold broke in another in a foreign land. We're down to our last $3 in Chile one time. We had, I've had operations and I've had my knees replaced and uh, gone through the bewilderment. Judy's gone through the bewilderment of menopause and, and all that goes with that and depression. I've been interrogated, intimidated by the Chilean secret police, raided our house at 5 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning when my girls were asleep downstairs. Uh, chased all over the place. I've been attacked by an axe-wielding man in my office at Tigham. You remember that? And been threatened by gun at gunpoint in Auckland. I've been set upon by a rabid dog in the Philippines. You know, it's it, we've been through some stuff, but I want to tell you something. It's in those things that you learn to know the presence of God. He is David said he's my high tower. He is my refuge. He is my, my altogether God that I love. And I, I, I run into him. Oh, it's, it's amazing. As I've sat in, in uh, foreign um, uh, airports in some strange places. Every two years, we go, I go to the Amazon jungle where we have a children's home. And Judy and I will be going there in May. And uh, I want to tell you, just go on. The, you get in smaller and smaller planes. You leave here in a beautiful jumbo jet. And you, and you fly into the jungle in this little plane that you wonder whether it's going to make it. And I've sat in some really strange airports and so forth and just, do you know what I do? I practice the presence of God. Never alone. I am never, ever alone. He is my fortress. You can know him as your saviour and your lord, but you need to know him as your friend. He's your friend. I, do you know what I do? Well, the last thing I do every night before I go to sleep, after I kiss my wife and say goodnight to her, I say to Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I make those my last words. Every night of my life, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. And I go to sleep. Because he's my best friend. He's the dearest of all. He is knowing his presence. I want his presence to be all over me. When I wake up in the morning, he drops something into my heart. Sometimes I feel him wake me. Like this morning. I needed to wake up. I needed to be there. Because Paul's brother, Stephen, is my son-in-law. I'm... I'm Tied into this family. I needed to know about that stuff. I needed to know Rachel had passed. 
I needed to be able to, to pray for my two grandchildren who were feeling it. We got a text on the way here from Shayla. You're all I got now. Don't you go. Yeah. You know, these things, he's our, he's our high tower. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. I love his presence, Paul, Tanya. I love his presence. I enjoy his presence. I talk to my church about his presence, and they roll their eyes. <laughs> because that's all I ever go on about. But I love the presence of God. Sometimes, you know, we, we do what David did, and we place the presence of God on a new cart. When it's always meant to be carried on the shoulders of men. Be careful what we do with the presence of God. I've got to move on. The third thing. I'm going to turn away and blow my nose. Was that all right? <laughs> third thing is, um, is about becoming a family. Thank you. Do you know, um, planting this church in my old age has been such a delight to me because, you know, I've just been able to focus in on, on some of the things that are so important. Church should always become a family. I, I just love it. And we did a, um, we did a, a little something that we do once a year is a, is a little survey of the church, just a one-page thing. We ask about three or four questions just for... For our feedback, and uh, the thing that always comes out as the highlight to the people in our church, and about eighty-five percent say this: "This is my family." And uh, uh, you know, this is uh, one of the lovely things about becoming old is that you become a dad and a granddad in a spiritual sense, and uh, I just love that. I love it. I wouldn't change that for being 33 again at all. I, I just love the, the being a... In the natural, I love being a granddad. Do you know? I say to my church, if someone had told me how good this was, I would have skipped parenting. <laughs> gone straight to grandparenting. It's so much, so much fun. Somebody else said, you know, this is God's reward for not killing your kids when they were 14. <laughs> I'm not sure I buy into that doctrine, but... Uh, I want to talk about just quickly about relationships. As I get older, they, the, the value of relationships means so much more to me. If, when I was 28, I was too busy for relationships. I was too busy for close friendships. I, you know what? You know, I was going to change the world. But you know what? They, as the years have gone by, the most important thing that has, has come to me is having my relationships, relationships with my family, relationships with friends, my elders. I love them. I rang my elders before I left this morning and, you know, said, I'm not going to be at church today. You know, it's like uh, just being in fellowship with people, people you can call, you know. some I love it. And, and Chile did this for us, you know. South Americans are tremendous relational people. And we learn from them. I, over there, I found that I could, I could call a CEO of a great big company 
and, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and say, hey, mate, you got time for a coffee? And, and you did that here. You'd say, like, okay, Pastor, Saturday morning. But over there, sure, see you in 20 minutes. It, it, they have this emphasis on relationally relationships and it's such an important thing becoming a family you know it, people don't leave church we had a couple uh, got offended the other day do you ever have that in church <laughs> i tell my church i said i decided quite a few years ago that i'm never going to be offended i'm an unoffendable you just got to make up your mind to not get offended uh, become unoffendable and uh, someone, uh, sometimes someone comes up to me and says, sorry, Pastor, I, I want to sorry. When I, when I ran out of church the other day or I, I looked, or I, didn't, I didn't look at you very nicely or something like that, you know, and, I, and I, I'm sorry I offended you. I said, you can't offend me. You cannot offend me. And uh, anyway, this couple in church got offended. And uh, that was it. I, tried, I phoned the guy. I said, mate... We've got too many runs on the board for you to do this. He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to try some other churches. And, uh, do you know what? They're back. <laughs> they're back. They've been back two weeks now and they're back and he's eating humble pie. And he's, Why are you back? It's my family. This is my family. I can go to better churches, but this is my family. This is my family. I want to tell you, becoming a family is a huge value to me and I think that's what churches have got to do. It doesn't matter how big I tell my church just about every week. I don't care. We're 150 or so now but I tell them if we grow to 1100 it doesn't matter. We're still going to be a family. We're still going to be a family and you've got just got to find ways to do that and, and sometimes crowds can take that away from you. You okay with this stuff? Yeah. I, I, I know that I should have brought you know a really fancy preaching to you but I just wanted to share this stuff. Do you know what I found about our church? They pastor each other. When you're a family, you pastor each other. They're making me redundant. <laughs> I sit at home and I say, I might as well get on the ride on and mow the, mow the grass. And, uh, you know, because every time I go to visit somebody who's sick or, or needs help or something, all the others have got there before me. <laughs> I went to the hospital just the other day and they... <sighs> The, the staff went like that. Another one from this church? And it's like uh, you know, the people pastor one another. It's just like a family does. And, and reliance upon connect groups lessens because people just get together out of love and, and desire. In our little town of Debra, you know, I, I go down there and there they are in the coffee shops. So I sneak past, you know, and I, I watch them. <laughs> there they go, they're sorting one another out. Yeah. We have this lady in our church, because we, we tend to live on acreage out there, and, and, and uh, uh, there's this one lady whose husband's had a stroke, and, and you know, I, uh, we look out, and I heard that the guys were getting together. They were going to go out there and, and sort out the grass and sort out the, the trees that had fallen down in the storm and all this stuff. I said, oh, count me in, guys. They said, get out of the way, Pastor. <laughs> you know, they didn't want me. It's like they got it sorted. And then I've got written here, they find it difficult to leave. I told you about that couple. The final thing I'm going to talk about, and uh, Paul will roll his eyes probably when he hears me say this, but it's doing mission. 
I am passionate about mission. I've got mission in my DNA. And when we started this church, you know, I had all these people turn up. We had 130 people on the first day. And then the second week, we had 65. Exactly half. They told me that would happen. I didn't believe them, and it did. Anyway, these 65 people became the core of our church, and none of them were missions. But I want to tell you that all missions now. They've just come back from India. We've got a, I've got a team that I'm taking into the Amazon jungle next uh, in May. They, they go out, they do missions, they, they, they're passionate. I, I, I've almost got to restrain their giving to missions. They are so passionate about giving uh, to missions because, you know, it is in the DNA. Now, it frustrates me when I meet pastors around the place, and Paul's not like this because I know how you guys are doing. I follow all your trips up to Malaysia and all that kind of thing. But it, it frustrates me that, that there are pastors out there who have not discovered that a healthy church is dependent upon you having a mission's heart. It really is. It is so important to give out, to be able to reach out to others. That's a signal, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus said this in Acts in chapter... I'm, I'm going to close it. Jesus said this in Acts in chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both... Listen to that word. Both in Ju Jerusalem, all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. The Lord said, do your church at home, but do it out there, and do it out there, and do it out there. It's across the road, it's in the suburb, it's in the next suburb, it's in the rest of the country, and it's overseas. And if we will have that kind of a passion now in our church and in our hearts, we will see health, health in our church, health in our lives. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Don't ever say or in that place. He didn't say be witnesses to me in Jerusalem or in Judea. He said in both those things. We've got to do the whole thing. In our church, we, we do missions. We've got orphanages. We, do, we look after the school chaplain and we do all that stuff. You've got to do it all because God is calling us to this. One of the wonderful things that I've done that I never did when I was pastoring big churches is that I meet with a bunch of guys in my neighborhood on a Friday night. Every Friday night, we meet together. They're rough. And the language makes my ears go red, make a sailor blush. It, it, it's amazing. But I've got these guys together, and, and we're meeting together, and we're speaking to their lives. One of them's coming to Bolivia with me in, uh, in May with his daughter. You know, but in speaking into their lives, we've got to get back to, to where I, you know, I'm a pastor. And, and for many years, pastor in big churches, I never had anything to do with non-Christians. I've changed that. have to do with them all the time. And uh, it's, 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 uh, it's something that's really important. We've got to make sure that we don't isolate ourselves from the unsaved. Whether we're playing golf with them or, you know. One of the guys I play golf with, you know, he hits a bad shot. There's this word comes out of his mouth. So I make sure that I, when I hit my next really good shot, because I hit mostly good shots, and I, my next, next good shot, I say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, down now, Jesus. Down. Oh, good one. <laughs> There's all sorts of ways we can be the witnesses to Jesus, you know, but I want us to, to just focus in on that. Why don't we stand together this morning? Thank you so much for being 
so attentive to me this morning. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. Let's just allow Holy Spirit to... I don't know, maybe one of these things God has spoken into your heart. Maybe two. There is a responsibility on each one of us always when we hear something, that we do something with it. We're not only hearers, but we're doers. We're doers. We take what God has done and what God has said and we do something with it. And I'm just going to pray for you in this moment. I just want you to have this, this moment where the Holy Spirit seals. This is what the Holy Spirit does. One of the things he does is seals. He seals in this word. I'm going to ask him to seal it into your heart this morning, to seal it in. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you just come to each one, Lord, and whatever has, has, Lord, been used by you to speak into the heart of every single person here, every boy and girl, every man and woman, Lord, whatever word, what it was, a scripture, Lord, or, or, or an emphasis, even an illustration maybe, Lord, just seal that, will you, Lord, so that it brings forth life, so that they go out of here carrying something this morning that will extend the kingdom of God. I pray, Father, for this people. I pray for this, Lord, this 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 house that is destined to become an Elijah church. I pray in Jesus' name for the, for the sealing in of this word and that word about an Elijah church into this congregation. Lord, I pray for that sealing and, that, and for that to be, Lord, something that sprouts forth and brings forth fruit. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.